the A-Liner brand was strong in the industry. It was a niche product. And the way that the industry works, it can generate cash. So, uh, you know, I felt that uh, the operational issues that they were having were all fixable. And uh, so we, we took the position and, you know, we uh, lost money the first couple of months and uh, first three months and then haven't lost money since. And eventually a lot of the shareholders wanted to get out. So I ultimately purchased the majority of them uh, out of their interests at the end of 2019. Awesome. Which I never would have thought uh, 10 years ago I'd be sitting on a podcast with you, Aaron, talking about the RV industry. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Brett Randall, is the president and CEO of A-Liner. A-Liner sells a lineup of folding campers and travel trailers for the RV industry. They've been in business for more than 30 years, and in the last decade, Brett has taken over the company, bought out more than 51% of the existing shareholders, and managed to run it profitably while growing top-line revenue. In this conversation, we talk exactly about how he took over the business, his origins in manufacturing, and how he executed this turnaround. For anyone interested in manufacturing, supply chains, or buying their own private business, I think this is going to be a really valuable conversation. Here is Brett Randall. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Brett, thanks for coming on the podcast. Ah, good morning, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited this is your first podcast. This so is. Yes, it is. Getting the maiden voyage here. Um, I want to start off, uh, A-Liner, this company that you are running, uh, has been producing their campers since the early 1970s. 80s. 80s. 80s, yeah. Um, and it is kind of got a distinct niche within the overall RV camper space that they really hang their hats on. So can you talk about that kind of positioning that you guys have in the market and what it, A-Liner is known for? Yeah, we're a, a manufacturer of lightweight, towable uh, RVs. Uh, and what's unique about them is they pop up into like an, an A-frame. Uh, type of scenario. So uh, the fact that they can fold down makes them easy to tow uh, and also makes them uh, able to fit in garages. So folks that uh, live in uh, communities that have HOAs that uh, uh, that don't allow you to store your, your RV in your driveway, you can put it in your garage. So that's a, that's a, big, uh, uh, a big draw to our product. And this is a company that's, that's been around for a while and occupies a space where there is a lot of stratification. Like there's like the, literally the full, you know, uh, like vehicle that you drive and everyone's inside the vehicle, the tow behind there's canvas based ones. This one has a kind of metal frame to it as well, which also gives it a sturdiness, a resilience. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's a, uh, we, we manufacture our own laminated panels that are, that are fiberglass for, uh, uh, lightweight and rot water resistance, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, but there are, uh, uh, we have what you call when it folds up into, you know, an A, we have what you call dormers that are extended uh, roofs that give you a little bit more headroom inside. And they can either be made with canvas uh, or they can be hard, uh, uh, as some campgrounds, because of bears, uh, don't allow canvas anymore. So uh, you have either option for it and it gives you a little bit more space. Got it. And can you speak a little bit to the, the size, the scale of the company, the team size? 
Yeah, we, we employ just under 100 people. We're in uh, Westmoreland County. Uh, our plan is about uh, 50 miles uh, east of Pittsburgh. Um, we, uh, 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 we made uh, over 1,700 units uh, uh, last year, so uh, uh, the, the business is of, 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 good, of good size. Um, we uh, uh, try to do as much as we can in-house. Uh, we do have a partner that manufactures our, our steel frames for us, uh, but pretty much everything else we, we, we do. We make our own laminated panels. We do our own cabinetry, uh, and uh, other than frames and tires, it's, uh, it's pretty much all us. And so I'm really interested to unpack for people how one comes into this type of leadership role in uh, a growing profitable, well-positioned, I don't don't know if you put it in the mid-sized business or small businesses in terms of categorization. Um, I know that you have a background in a a previous family business, Traco, and that has been, uh, that has kind of prepared you for this leadership role within A-Liner. So can you share a little bit of that story with everyone? Yeah. uh, You know, I uh, grew up and was third generation in a family business. And, uh, uh, you know, my my father uh, uh, really was a a classic second generation entrepreneur. He, you know, he uh, was the the driving engine to grow that business. We manufactured uh, uh, windows for commercial and residential markets. And uh, uh, we sold that business uh, in 2010. Uh, and after that, uh, uh, you know, I got involved. I was in my young 40s, so I wasn't ready to uh, to uh, retire and uh, got involved in some real estate. My wife and I started a uh, real estate company and, and our family did some real estate development work. Uh, but I was always, I'd spent my whole career in manufacturing. So uh, Pittsburgh is uh, really two degrees of separation. Everybody knows that's how you and I have come together. Uh, you know, when you're talking to somebody, oh, I know so-and-so, I know so-and-so. So I was doing a little bit of side work. And uh, this company uh, out in Mount Pleasant uh, was owned by a group of uh, 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 mostly local investors. And it had really struggled, uh, uh, obviously coming out of the uh, 2007 recession. Uh, the only thing probably hit harder than the uh, housing crisis was the RV industry. Uh, and although it was rebounding in you know 2010, 11, and 12, uh, A-Liner had continued to struggle. Uh, and so uh, I, I was asked to come in, take a look at the business. I gave some of my thoughts and recommendations. And um, uh, about six months later, uh, um, they came back. Uh, the board of directors had made a decision that they, they wanted to uh, make a change and, and bring in a new CEO and would I be interested. Um, so I told my wife, uh, who at the time was uh, six months pregnant with our fourth child, and we had uh, twin uh, one-year-olds and a two-and-a-half-year-old at home. So she was uh, nonetheless thrilled. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, I said, you know, we, I was interested by the challenge because uh, the uh, uh, the A-liner brand was strong in the industry. It was a niche product. And the way that the industry works, it can generate cash. So, uh, you know, I felt that, uh, uh, you know, the the operational issues that they were having were all fixable. And uh, so we, we took the position and, uh, uh, you know, we uh, 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 lost money the first couple of months and uh, first three months and then haven't lost money since. And eventually a lot of the shareholders wanted to get out. So I ultimately purchased the majority of them. Uh, out of their interests at the end of 2019. 
Awesome. Which I never would have thought uh, 10 years ago I'd be sitting on a podcast with you, Aaron, talking about the RV industry. Yeah, hard to predict. It, it's uh, the Steve Jobs quote. Everything kind of makes sense looking backwards. It's really hard to predict moving forward. It is, it is. And I got involved about four years ago with the RV Industry, industry Association Board, and I now chair the uh, Public and Legislative Committee for that. So uh, I'm all in. Absolutely. So I'm really curious to just, you know, you, you referenced that you had the background in manufacturing and that uh, part of what needed cleaned up as it pertained to A-liner was in a, a reductive sense, being able to manufacture the product more efficiently, aka at a, at a lower cost, produce uh, you know a consistent standard of product or a higher quality product in order to continue to uh, have the business have the opportunity to grow. Can you take us down to a more tactical level at some of the things that you looked at that you you know you can be explicit in what was addressed? But as someone with that background, like you know my background's in marketing, so I can tell you, hey, this is what needs to happen with the YouTube video. Video, hey, this website thing needs to change. Hey, this copywriting's off. But I couldn't, I, I would walk into the manufacturing facility and I'd just kind of start drooling. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think, Aaron, uh, you know, what, what we looked at is we, we had a good team. We had good people in place. Um, uh, the one thing that I did inform the board before I took the position is, is that I, I wanted to bring in um, uh, my own controller uh, because I felt that you know, you have to have control of your finances. If you don't really understand uh, uh, your controls and, and your finances, it's it's hard to get control of the business. So that was the one uh, major change uh, that I made when I when I took over. I brought in a, a new controller, and she's she came on a month after I did, and she's been uh, with me ever since and has done a fabulous job. Uh, but really what we did is, uh, the first thing we did is got the finances in order so that we, you know, we, we understood uh, where we are from a financial condition with our debt, our balance sheet. Uh, we got our, our uh, monthly financial statements in place. Uh, we got cash forecasts in place. Uh, the first thing I did is I, I went around, we had issues with our vendors. So I, I, I made trips to uh, the, about the top 10 key vendors, introduced myself, talked to them. I said, listen, I know we've had some issues with you. Uh, this is what we're going to do. I said, I can't get you clean tomorrow, but this is the plan and we will get you current by this period of time. And, and uh, um, you know, they, they uh, listened. Most of them understood and, and, and were willing to give us an opportunity. Uh, and we met all those commitments to them and, and, and got them current within about a six-month period. Uh, then we took a look at the, the product, and the first thing we wanted to do was get control of our costs. You have to know uh, your costs. Uh, so we made sure that uh, we audited and, and uh, updated our bills of materials for, for all of the products uh, so that we understood what the current costs were. Uh, the next thing that, that we did is, uh, you know, we, we balanced that off of the pricing uh, and then we made some necessary adjustments uh, uh, either way uh, um, to make sure that we were selling them at, at, at an acceptable margin for us. Uh, and then we attacked the quality of the product. We, we had uh, at the time about four and a half percent of our revenue uh, uh, was going towards warranty issues, which was about standard in the industry at the time, but too high. Yeah. And so we, we uh, uh, you know, we attacked uh, uh, root issues, you know, what was out there and, and uh, uh, you know, we, one by one, we, we, we prioritized them and one by one, we, you know, we either enhanced the design of the product or uh, the training for our team 
on on how to uh, do certain procedures so that we got that down. And I'm pleased to say, uh, uh, even with our growth today, we're, we're down uh, less than one and a half percent now. So we've made substantial strides in uh, less quality than one and a half percent of it. revenue uh, uh, goes to uh, warranty issues, uh, which is uh, about four times better than the the industry average right now. So yeah. you know we're we're proud of that, and and we promote ourselves as best in class, best in brand. We we are on the higher priced uh, in our category, so we need to make sure that we're making good quality products. So. Again, I, I would say you know the financials, the costs, and then the quality were, were the things that we jumped in right away. So that makes me kind of jump to the present, which is what wasn't what I intended to do originally. But you know we're in this environment now where inflation is the headline grabber if you read any sort of business news, and so. Uh, you know, obviously, the companies that are going to particularly struggle in this type of environment are those that don't have a good handle on their costs because it's just going to completely sideswipe them. But for a company like yours, where you have that controller in place, you have the kind of inputs relatively well defined and, and tracked. What are you seeing from an inflationary standpoint on the inputs to actually getting one of these campers built? That's a, it's it's been crazy. I mean, uh, you know, long before we we finally started talking about inflation, you know, those of us in business knew it was there. Yeah. Um, so over the last uh, uh, two and a half years or so, we've seen inflationary increases uh, uh, at about twenty one percent. We've been able to reduce some costs, uh, but we have had to pass uh, a good portion of that on to our dealers, and then ultimately on to end line consumers. And you know, obviously, uh, you know, folks are hurting right now. Uh, uh, inflation, uh, even though we've had uh, substantial wage acceleration here in the last couple of years, inflation's outpacing it. Uh, and that's not just that's with everything that we're buying. That's at the gas pump. That's the cost of energy. Um, you know, we were on a path to be energy independent a, a few years ago, and uh, uh, you know, I've, I've always been in favor of that path. You, you hear a lot about gas prices, but it's not just gas prices. It's it's the overall cost of energy. It's you know what we pay to to heat our factory in the winter. Uh, you know that all g- goes into it, and when it doubles over a short period of time, like it like it has, all that trickles down. Uh, the, the the cost of gas, the, the pressure on uh, uh, the trucking industry, especially independent truckers right now, is is intense and it's affecting uh, an already uh, difficult supply chain issue that's going on. Uh, we have challenges. Uh, with uh, some of the Canadian laws getting our products into Canada because of the uh, uh, mandate on uh, uh, vaccinations uh, for those entering. And and, uh, uh, it's been a challenge. We have container shortages. We send products overseas to, to Europe. And getting containers and getting, and the cost of containers has almost doubled here in the last six months. So, there's a lot of things going on right now. Uh, we still find, uh, as an industry, that uh, people are still uh, using uh, their RVs, uh, whether they're uh, towables or uh, uh, motorized. Uh, but what we're seeing them do this summer is is more what we call nearcations. Yeah. So they're staying a little bit closer. So if in the past they were, you know, traveling six or eight hours uh, for a destination. Now maybe they're doing two to four yeah. uh, to kind of offset a little bit of that issues with uh, uh, with gas prices. But 
the radius of summer driving season. It, the okay. radius, and, and we even find that ourselves. We take our family takes a couple camping trips every summer, and yeah. and uh, we're staying a little bit closer as well. So. What are some of your favorite spots? Uh, oh gosh, well we we uh, uh, we like some of the uh, uh, Jellystones. Uh, we were down in the Shenandoah Valley uh, uh, last year, uh, so we usually stay within four to six hours. So it's Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, West Virginia, Stonewall Jackson's a great place that we, we, we were at last year in, in, in West Virginia. Uh, and uh, uh, this year, we, we were actually scheduled to go up to Niagara Falls, but we had to uh, uh, postpone that one. So, But about, uh, about two to four hours is where we'll stay this year. Nice. So you talked a little bit about the kind of supply side of actually getting these things made. The demand side, obviously, if you know price inflation is outpacing wage inflation, that's going to be a kind of drag on demand for products generally. But... I have to imagine that, you know, I know that just, you know, my family, we've never taken more hikes and walks outside than we have in the last two years, right. uh, you know, given the, the scenarios of the, of the world. So uh, has there kind of been a, a tailwind that you've seen in uh, interest and in kind of, you know, people want home gyms, they want their kind of self-contained environments. Have you seen that in the kind of camping supply we've, industry generally? We, we definitely have. I mean, the, you know, the pandemic obviously... Uh, uh, cooped everybody up. Uh, you know, we've we've worked hard. We we originally deemed non-essential, uh, which which I feel was 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 wrong. Um, and since we we've worked for you know manufacturers, campgrounds, dealers to be deemed as as essential uh, workplaces, so that if something like this were to ever happen again, we can you know we can continue to operate because. You know, we feel like we provide the opportunity for people to recreate and get out in a safe manner, uh, spending times outdoors. So the industry uh, uh, the last two years has been uh, very healthy, uh, shipping, I think, over 600,000 units uh, last year. Uh, it'll be down a little bit this year uh, because the market is correcting itself a bit. But I think what we saw is uh, a lot of newcomers, a lot of uh, uh, young families trying out the RV experience, and 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 hopefully um, uh, most of them will enjoy it. We also saw a lot of people who used to RV uh, and got away from it, doing other things, came back to it. So hopefully, uh, you know, we've made the experience a good one, both from the vehicle, uh, the RV that they chose, as well as their experience buying it through their dealer, uh, the experience that they have on the campground, uh, you know, uh, the great outdoors uh uh, Act was passed last year, designed to uh, uh, get some uh, money in to modernize uh, the infrastructure for uh, state and 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 federal parks and and campgrounds. Big things: modernizing bathrooms, uh, bringing Wi Fi in uh, where appropriate, uh, uh, electrical uh, vehicle uh, EV charging stations, uh, more amenities. Uh, because what we found is a lot of these uh, new exp new campers were coming in, and the Wi-Fi was important to them. Well, the Wi-Fi is important to me. I always, you know, when when my wife makes a, a reservation for us, she always knows to check on the Wi-Fi yep. because I need to stay connected from a work standpoint. Well, what we found in our market research is that a lot of folks, uh, the Wi-Fi is important for them from a work aspect, but it's more important because they want to share their experiences. Yeah, uh, you know, social media is very important to them, and and they want to be able to be uh, able to share those experiences real time, whether they're 
taking a hike or a bike ride or fishing or swimming or whatever they may be doing uh, to experience that outdoor life while they're camping. Absolutely. I, they, I think they only recently added it, but for years, uh, one of the complaints with Airbnb was, you know, you have your, your host rating, you have the photos and it was like, is the shower have good wa- water right. pressure and is the Wi-Fi at least moderately expedient as being the two things like, I would love to know that before I right. you know, sign up to go to the place. Very important things. I mean, people, especially new to camping, you know, they, they have a, a, an expectation, you know, some longtime campers, they may... Uh, be able to, uh, they understand some facilities aren't modernized, but, but, but newer people to it, they expect to have clean, uh, uh, bathrooms and, uh, modern amenities there and they expect to have Wi-Fi. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so can you just talk a little bit more about on the d- demand side, you talked about selling through these, these dealerships and retailers. Can you just talk a little bit more mechanically about how that works? Because the other question I had was from a financing standpoint, you know, you referenced homes being particularly hard hit in the recession. Those you know, partially a, f- a financial product in addition to being the actual physical structure. Uh, cars, another thing that's always a signal when there's a recession going on, um, ha- have a financing component to them as well. Can you talk about that? particular to the RV space? Sure. Uh, again, uh, it's similar. Our industry is similar to automotive in that uh, the vast majority of the manufacturers sell through dealers. So you have dealers uh, all over uh, North America, really, that uh, will buy an inventory, a level of product, and uh, a consumer can go in. They can buy a product right off of their light, uh, off of their lot, or if they want something that maybe they don't have into, into inventory, they can have the dealer order it for them. Um, all dealers provide a, a financing component, so you will have cash buyers out there, but you have a financing option uh, that, that folks can go in, similarly to buying a car. Um, so it it really just fits with uh, uh, what you're looking for and, and what your financial positions are. But the kind of financing side isn't really touching something like a liner because you're kind of selling it wholesale into them with with the inventory buy. Right. It's it's again it's similar to automotive. So what uh, most automotive dealers do is they have what they call flooring. So uh, they work with a financial institution and and they have X dollars available for flooring and they say okay that allows me to inventory fifty cars and then they'll have them on their lot and then they'll create a, a separate. Uh, relationship with a financing uh, organization that will finance to the endline consumer. Uh, so most dealers, both in automotive and in in the RV industry, uh, don't front all the cash for their products. They, they work with a, a, a lending institution. And from a, a kind of sales standpoint, I have to imagine that you know it's if you're trying to, if I'm just hypothetically uh, attacking the problem of there's. A thousand RV dealerships in the United States. I'm sure it's much more than that, but I'm just easy numbers. And A Liners currently sold through 700 of those 1,000. You have the list of the 300 that you would need to, you know, better establish a relationship or try to upsell, to have them carry more of your inventory. Like, how do you approach those problems in terms of a revenue growth standpoint? Well, great question. So, so uh, uh, really, it's it's a little different for us because uh, you know we do uh, we strategically partner. Uh, with select dealers who understand how to sell the product and and represent the brand uh, accordingly. So we are uh, less than 100 dealers throughout North America. So we we look to, they have a territory that they're responsible for. 
and they re- they represent the product throughout that territory, and and then they'll service it. That includes inventorying it, selling it, and then taking care of it uh, uh, in the aftermarket. Uh, so we 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 are very selective with those. We we want to make sure that uh, because. Our name's on the product. So that whole experience for the consumer from the time that they go in to look at the product to their actual purchase of the product, and then when they want to get the product inspected or serviced uh, after the fact, we, we, we need to make sure that they have the best level of service that, that, that they can get. So we are selective with the dealers that we sell through. And that's the advantage also of having the brand equity built up over decades, where there's going to be a natural draw. Someone's done their online research. I, I looked at the one YouTube video, Princess Craft Princess had Craft, done a yes. video with over half a million views, like reviewing a walkthrough of one of the A-liners. She does, uh, uh, she's a wonderful partner to us and, and does a great job with her social media. And, you know, so our, it's incumbent upon us as a manufacturer, Number one, we need to make sure that that quality is top notch. You know, they expect that that you know that that product is 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 going to be right. And if there is an issue, we fix it. We fix it fast. Uh, and then we need to represent the brand as well. We need to pull through the dealers, uh, and that's via shows, that's via social media, uh, and other streams of marketing that, that that we work to do to to make sure that the brand awareness is high. Uh, we have a pretty good following on social media. Facebook, Instagram, a little less on Twitter, TikTok, uh, uh, YouTube, as you mentioned. Uh, so, so it's it's incumbent upon us to make sure that the brand's out there. Yeah, because it, it being like the car market. I know, you know, my dad is like the king of consumer reports and like right. reading every single review that one could right. have before you actually make a buy. And I don't know if he really spends any if at all time on like say the you know. Toyota or Ford or whatever website, it's all these characters who are doing the walkthrough of the specs of the buying opportunities of the markets at which to actually get what he's looking for. Well, it's interesting you say that, Eric. In the last two years, and in, in the RV industry, we do a lot of market research. And what we've found is the average age of the first time RV buyer has dropped from 41 to 33. And part of that is pandemic I'm on driven. The clock. I'm there you coming. go. You got to get one. <laughs> yeah. we'll get you sign up. But but they are their method of consumption is is just what you said. They do their research. So before they even go on a lot, they pretty much know exactly what they want to buy. They don't they don't need to be sold, and typically they don't want to be sold. Uh, they're just going to go and, and do their purchase. So. What we've worked to do in the last couple of years is to make our social media uh, and our website and everything much more consumer-centric as opposed to dealer-centric. We have a dealer portal that provides the, uh, the dealers with all the sales tools and, and, and product information they need, but we wanted to uh, uh, really target our social media and marketing and website towards the consumer to make it easy for them to understand the product, how it works, you know, what are the sizes of the products? What are the floor plans of the products? What are the amenities of the products? Um, because that's, that's like your dad, you know, that, that's how they, they want to they uh, do their buying. That makes a ton of sense. I also know that, you know, if there was, I know that like van life is, are you, are you familiar with that kind of like term? So like, you know, I'm living out of this van and I, I can travel wherever. There seems like an obvious honor. It's like, you know, what's a little bit more comfortable than van life is truck and a A-liner uh, life. Well, you know, the, the nice thing about the towable as well is, is that when you, when you get to a campground, you can set up shop, get everything set up, your utilities, your water plugged in, and then you still have your tow vehicle so that if you, you know, want to drive five miles because there's this particular 
uh, uh, hike rock path climbing. you want to do. She's a rock climber. There, there you go. You want to go climb a rock. You want to go shoot the rapids. Uh, yeah. There's a stream that you want to fish. Yeah, it, it's one of the nice things about you know having a towable that that a lot of folks like. And you know what we've seen is pre-pandemic, our, our traditional customer was usually an empty nester early retiree, uh, one or two people. Uh, and that's how most of our floor plans and products were designed. Uh, but in, in, even before the pandemic, but I think accentuated during the pandemic is the young family getting, getting into uh, the lifestyle. So we've come out with uh, 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 multiple floor plans that comfortably sleep a family of four. So that you know you you can and 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 they're small, but you know family of four is not spending a lot of time usually in the camper anyway. They're they're out about camping. They need a place to sleep. So uh, and it's a great one. Also, grandma and grandpa, if they want to you know take uh, a couple of grandkids out. So we we've tried to uh, listen to the market and the demands, and we actually have an exciting new product coming out this fall uh, that not only sleeps a family of four, but also uh, you know has a toilet and a shower. Uh, in it, so um, you know we're really excited about uh, about this product, and and again targeting uh, 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 the young family uh, to give them an option at a reasonable price point, a product they can put in their garage that has the amenities for their for their children and and for their lifestyle. So another thing that I was reading about was that basically a uh, slightly narrower uh, width of the A-liner, which, which just makes it easier to tow. It's kind of safer. Like if I'm not super confident with some sort of trailer on the back of my vehicle, it's, it's relatively easier to maintain. It really sounds like a lot of the design consideration is the optimization of space and how to, you know, as compactly as possible, give people the maximum amount of amenities. Are there other considerations that you're talking about Wi-Fi at like the campground level, but are there other things that you're seeing in terms of innovating on what that foldable camper uh, experience looks like and the amenities that would come embedded in that? Yeah, obviously, you know, you know, it's changed from just having uh, uh, outlets in there, for instance, to having USB ports and other types of things. We we used to actually put you know radios in them. We don't anymore because most people have their own. They just want to be able to plug in, uh, you know, and, and they're good to go. Um, but amenities like uh, an outdoor kitchen that we've added because we you know we found that that, that folks uh, a lot of our folks. They only sleep in the camper, so so they love to have all these amenities, uh, things that we've put in a new cooler, for instance, as opposed to a refrigerator, because the cooler it slides out and you can use it in the unit, but now you can also pick it up and take it outside if if, if you'd want to have it rather than you know having to go into the camper to use your refrigerator. Uh, solar is big. We. You know, we offer solar uh, uh, panels and, and plug-ins, and, and uh, uh, we're now going to be putting solar on the roof as well to help, uh, you know, with uh, uh, charging the battery. And the lightweight, sustainability, are the, the materials that we use in the product, uh, you know, we look to make sure that uh, we, we use as much uh, recyclable, uh, you know, uh, uh, environmental-friendly uh, and lightweight materials uh, uh, that we can so that we make it easy on the towing vehicles. Got it. Well, this is fascinating, but uh, I feel like I could just keep going with, with questions about this industry. Um, can you maybe just talk a little bit more about the transition into ownership? We kind of brushed over it relatively quickly, but the way the thing that's interesting to me, I think a lot of people listened, is they're looking for 
greater career satisfaction, uh, greater economic opportunity. And not that they're all going to come racing and compete with you in the RV industry, but to uh, be able to buy or take a majority stake in uh, a business like this and kind of have the economic opportunity that comes along with that. Can you just talk a little bit more about negotiating that, you know, messy cap table, the things that go into making that something like that possible? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's challenging because, uh, you know, and every every deal's a little bit different. And and when deals come down, uh, uh, you know, I've always been, you know, tr- try to be a win-win guy. I, you know, I want everybody, when, when we have a deal or, or job or whatever it is, I want everybody to feel good at the end of it. Uh, the reality is, is that's not always realistic. Uh, uh, but when we were able to put this together, we, we tried multiple structures uh, that went back to 2017 and uh, uh, eventually came up with a one in 2019 that, that worked for the majority. And, and uh, there were a few people that unfortunately didn't feel good about the deal. Uh, but, you know, they, they were also left, everybody was left with a choice. I, I gave everybody the opportunity if they wanted to stay in the business, they could. Uh, but my offer was contingent on being able to uh, gain at least 51% control of the company. And I, I you know, I, we felt that we put most, the vast majority of the investors felt very good about the offer that was given for their invested capital. Many of them had been in there for 12 years now and had not expected to be in uh, an RV business deal for that long. So, I, you know, I, I think it was overall a, a, a good deal for the vast majority of it, but it took some time and, and a little bit of creativity. Uh, and some dialogue with folks, and and uh, um, you know we 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 feel good. I feel good about the outcome. I feel like it was a it, it was a good deal for for the vast majority of folks. And so, with you, you know, getting over fifty one percent, this is not a, a a private equity deal in the sense that there's some fund with a three year, ten year liquidity window. A VC firm investing in a startup where they need to see some sort of spectac not spectacular, but you know, crazy multiple of multiple order of magnitude return in a tight window of time. How are you thinking about it in terms of like like is there some sort of drop dead date or timeline or outcome that you are in specific pursuit of, or is it just the growth the Profitability kind of being nurtured is going to lead to something good in the future. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the, the latter. Uh, no, it wasn't private equity. It's you know it was all my risk. I did have one of the majority uh, minority shareholders also stepped up and, and did purchase some additional equity uh, as well. But but we took the risk. I mean, and and, and uh, you know I'm one that. You know, I, I would rather bet on myself uh, than uh, uh, you know bet on bet on other folks. And uh, you know, I feel good about the product. I feel good about the brand. I feel good about the industry, and I feel good about our team uh, and the people that we have. And um, you know, those level of confidences um, lead me uh, not only when I made the decision, but but even today, feel good about where we're going uh, and how we're going to get there. And you know, the one thing is, is nothing happens in a minute. I mean, everything it requires a plan, and then it takes methodical time to execute it. Uh, and this goes back to 2014 when I got involved, and, and we uh, were over leveraged and had a lot of debt. You can't just wipe that away. Uh, it takes years, and uh, uh, you know, and and but you got to have a plan, and then you got to stay to it on a consistent basis. And I mean, my main job is is I think to keep everybody's eye on the ball. Uh, 
you know, I, I don't do the work. They, we have a great team and, and they do all the hard work. My job is to just make sure that we're all uh, keeping our eye on the ball and, and, and stay focused because the day-to-day, the week-to-week, the month-to-month tasks are what add up to the year-to-year results. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I feel good about where we are and where we're going. That's a beautiful note to wrap up on. Uh, Brett, this has been fantastic. I want to ask my standard last two questions, but before I do that, was there anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you a chance to? Oh my gosh, Aaron, you, you opened up and let me just, uh, uh, show up and throw up so to speak, but I appreciate it. And I, I love talking about the industry and I love talking about our company. Well, I learned a lot. I love talking with you. I appreciate you sharing your time with us. Uh, for folks that want to learn more about A-Liner or potentially spam you with messages, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide? A-Liner.com is, is our website. You can, you can follow us on, uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, uh, anywhere. And, and, you know, always reach out uh, uh, to us. There's an info at aliner.com that you can get to from the website if you have any questions that you'd like to talk to one of our, our team members about. Right on. We're going to link that in the show notes. It's in the app. We're probably listening to this right now or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before we let you go, Brett, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Mm. So I will tell you, I try to do this myself, is every month, uh, pick one thing uh, that you're going to get done. Uh, you know, it could be anything from I'm going to play three rounds of golf this month or uh, I'm going to take uh, and spend a quality day with each of my kids. Uh, I'm going to, you know, do something with the business. Pick one thing at the beginning of the month that you're going to get done and, and put it on your calendar and schedule what needs to be done and make sure you get it done at the end of the month because there's so many things. We're all so busy with everything going on, but it's so nice at the end of a month to be able to look back and say, hey, this one thing I said I was going to do and I definitely accomplished it. I love that. Have you ever heard of the book Getting Things Done by David Allen? I have not. So he is like one of the OG productivity uh, gurus. I feel like that's almost like a disparaging word now, but like really just an expert on productivity and organizing yourself. And he basically uses that framework all the time on a week to week basis. And it's so easy in in all life, but particularly modern life to get, you know, you know, squirrel syndrome, like, Oh, let's go chase that thing, chase this thing, chase that thing. But if you can hone in on what the priority is quality time with your kids, quality time to de-stress and be with friends or the objective that just has to get done with the business, it has a way of building momentum and getting the things done that need to get done. So that's a fantastic challenge. Thank you. Thank you. And I I would be remiss if I didn't uh, also uh, thank my wife and family and, and uh, my parents, uh, all, all of their support. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing now without them. And especially my wife, a shout out to her because she's a star. Amen to that. Uh, Brett, this has been fantastic. Thank you Thank so much you, for coming on the show. We just went deep with Brett Randall. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the end of my conversation with Brett. If you enjoyed it, then I am confident that you would also enjoy our past conversation with J.D. Ewing. J.D. took over a small family business and has transformed it into an office furniture wholesaler doing over $100 million in annual revenue. We talk all about how he's scaled the companies, the values embedded in his approach, and what he's learned about financial forecasting. Link it in the show notes and hit subscribe because we've got a ton of great interviews coming real soon. 
thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.